Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, joined as always by my co-host, David Roberts. Permission to Be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true, authentic selves. We hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been. privilege of having a soon-to-be new author, Elizabeth Jeffries, with us. She has her doctorate in molecular biology, and I am so excited to see how this transition of her life going from a fundamentalist um, upbringing and then merging her um, knowledge together has just transformed who she is today. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So normally, as we always do, um, we start with a question and uh, get to know you type question. And that would be who would play you like a biopic of your life? What actor, actresses, multiple people would you think would play you? Fantastic question. And my answer is Anna Kendrick. I've given this some thought. I She has the... She has this like cute playfulness, um, but I think she can also be kind of more of a serious person. Um, I can imagine her being a bit of a nerd. I can be a bit of a nerd, um, but I, I imagine her also having a lot of fun. I like to think I have a lot of fun. So Anna Kendrick is my answer. Now, follow-up question, since yes. that is your answer. Anna Kendrick can sing. Oh. Is there a... Is there an angle where your life could be a compelling musical or, or would her, would this kind of just be a test of her acting chops and not so much the singing ability? I would love to see my life as a musical. That, that okay. is a, yeah, I, right. I mean, there, there are many moments that I think of my life as a musical, as I'm living it. So that, that's a great idea. You, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, you know, for the conversation. We're going to get into, you know, talking about your book and your work. and But I don't know. I mean, I think some of what, you know, your book, I, I think it maybe lends itself to, to something more theatrical, a little more Broadway. So Biological opera. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. A niche market that you could. That's right. Right. This is a new, a new venture. Mm. I like this. All right. Perfect. Well, we'll, uh, you know, we'll get Anna on the phone as soon as we're done here. We'll Great. kind of get it going. We'll call so. her people. Yeah. We have, we have a direct line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our people call her people. We'll, you know, we'll uh, fax you the con, the, the contract and stuff. You have a fax I machine. I love it. I love uh, it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, bless. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Well, well, we want to get into the book, but before we do, kind of the question after the question. So if, if the first question is the biopic question, which is the best question, but if the, the second question, the first, uh, I mean, that was a serious question, but the first serious question that we ask everyone, but the question is who or what, and this really gets at kind of the theme or the idea behind this podcast, permission to be, who or what gave you permission whether it was like legit i mean for some people it's it's legitimate permission like there was something blocking them before for others it's kind of more symbolic or or what have you but who or what gave you permission to be who you are today so so whoever you know elizabeth jeffries to be today what was kind of that 
maybe it's a moment, maybe it's a season, uh, maybe it's a series of events, you know, that'll be for you to answer, but who or what gave you permission to be who you are today? I love that question. And my answer is definitely more in the, the symbolic, um, realm and it's more of a, a progression than a single event I can lay my finger on. Um, But what stands out to me, even just about the title of this podcast, Permission to Be, is that it's such a a simple and straightforward concept. And it, you know, if you think like an alien coming to Earth would be like, permission, why do they need permission to be, right? You know, isn't that just being a person, right? Uh, But it resonates with me so deeply because permission to be who I am is not something that I was taught or Mm -hmm. equipped to find on my own. Um, I, I grew up learning. um, I grew up a, a fundamentalist evangelical and Christian, and I was taught the, this idea of total depravity. I was taught that humans are not capable of doing anything good on our own and that we require God's intervention in order to, to do anything good or to do anything useful, uh, to be good in any way. And then the thought, the notion of giving myself permission to be myself, that was not something that I ever, that, that I ever had or sure. that I ever pursued. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, too. So what gave me that permission to be who I am now was really the collapse of my faith and the transformation of my faith. Um, but at, before it transformed, it had to kind of collapse. It had to kind yeah. of fall apart. And when that happened, I that's when I started to find what it really means to be myself. Sure. Um, yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about what that collapse looked like? Yeah, yeah. So I was homeschooled uh, K through 12, and I went to my family and I, we went to a fundamentalist, non-denominational evangelical church. And in a lot of ways, it was incredibly helpful for me. And it equipped me in a lot of ways um, to, you know, to navigate life in some really meaningful ways. It gave me boundaries and it gave me a clear picture of right and wrong. It gave me this strong moral compass, um, So it was really beneficial in a lot of ways. But then I went to college. I went to a public university. And this was the first time I was really outside of my homeschool evangelical world where everyone believed honestly the same thing. So you were homeschooled through high school then? Yeah. Yeah. I was homeschooled through the end of high school. And... All through, all through school, I knew that I wanted to study science. I, I knew I was fascinated by, especially biology. I wanted to work in, uh, in some type of medical research field, wanted to use biology to help people to solve real problems in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and under that was always 
this just fascination with nature, a fascination with the natural world. Um, so I had all of that growing up, but I, I was very, I was in a very closed environment. Uh, I really wasn't around a lot of people who believed differently from me. Uh, and in a lot of ways that just the thought that someone could believe different differently from me and, you know, and still like be doing good things, uh, that thought was like foreign, right? Um, so rude awakening when I show up as a freshman at a public university and I, I had my friends in the, you know, the campus college ministry. And so I, I still had this, you know, this connection to the Christian world that I was very familiar with. But I also started to develop a connection with the outside world, right. with mm-hmm. the, you know, um, with people who are outside of my tradition, outside of my faith tradition. Maybe they believed differently from me. Maybe their beliefs just weren't important to them. You know, maybe faith wasn't something they talked about. Um, But I started to notice that a lot of these people were like, they, they, they were better students than me. They were kinder people than me. They, you know, Um, they were genuinely good people. They were genuinely kind and interested in helping other people. Yeah, it's really interesting because growing up, it's in a similar bubble. It kind of feels like I'm the cream of the crop, you know? And so you go to another environment and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. How how does that work? Yeah. And I, uh, um, a really important part of our faith, uh, at least for me growing up, an important part of it was we are so grateful that we have the truth. Mm, mm-hmm. We are so mm-hmm. grateful that we're the ones who, you know, who received it, who found it, who got it, what, you know, whatever mm-hmm. vocabulary you want to use. Um, and it, while you're inside of that bubble, that's really, that's so reassuring and it mm-hmm. inspires all of this gratitude and it inspires this sense of, Oh God, why me? Why would you choose me? This is wonderful. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right. But as soon as you step outside of it, uh, first of all, you start to question, am I really the one who has the truth? And second of all, you start to look at, at other people around you and you start to say like, but wait a minute, this person's working really hard and they're trying really hard mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're looking for the truth. They're looking for ways to help other people and to be, you know, to be a contributing member of their community. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't God give them the truth? Mm-hmm. You know, you, um, it, the whole thing kind of starts to, these fault lines start to develop. Um, yeah. So I, 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 out of that kind of exclusive, we are the ones who found the truth out of that yeah. world. Um, when I was in college, it was just sort of a, a progressive, slow, a kind of an erosion of that exclusive concept. Sure. Um, I, I could no longer hold on to that. Yeah, you knew early, you said, you knew, you knew, even as, you know, you're kind of a little closed off, sheltered homeschooler, that you wanted to study science, and right. and so I'm assuming, because you're now a 
soon to be published PhD, right. you know, you know, who's, you know, that, that science journey, molecular biology that obviously played a, you know, plays a huge part in your current work and where you ended up did the science piece. Cause I, well, let me take a step back. I, I know for me, I wasn't homeschooled, but I went to these very conservative, very legalistic uh, Christian schools growing up. Um, you know, our, our curriculum mm-hmm. was from, whether it was either Bob Jones University or Pensacola University. And so these very, you know, and so, yeah. you know, I got, I took science classes technically, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, and, and um, I mean, I remember at one point um, I was actually in French class and, you know, my French teacher was saying something like, um, you know, you know, the earth is millions and millions of years old. And, and some friends of mine and I were like, well, no, it's, you know, and, and, and the French teacher was like, what are you talking about? And, and it ended up become, become this big thing. We had to get, we had to get the science teacher in the room and one of the history teachers in the room. And, and by the end of it, everyone agreed that no, of course, you know, biblically speaking, the earth is, is 6,000 some odd years old. And, you know, Adam and Eve rode, wow. rode velociraptors yeah. and they were plant eating velociraptors or, you know, something like that. And, and it was, just, it was just hard to do. So right. roundabout way of saying, you know, obviously you know, you've named the relational parts of, of kind of how your, yeah. your views began to broaden or you know, your, your perspective began to shift and unravel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where, if, if it did, where did the science piece start kind of fitting into all this? That's a great question. And Honestly, so I, growing up, I, all of my science curriculum was written by Christian young earth creationists. Um, So I had a lot of catching up to do when, you know, when I was in college, I was actually a, a chemistry major and I'm kind of glad that I was because chemistry is a lot more math and there's not, you know, uh, Biblically, there aren't many disputes about math, um, so I was I was allowed to learn math. Um, that wasn't a problem, but but yeah, I so the the science really from the get go, um, the just the the concept of creation. It never really I never really bought in to okay. what I was reading in my, in my, you know, science textbooks. And that was part of what, uh, kind of opened, uh, opened me up to be able to consider like, "Eh, maybe we don't have it all together. Um, it just always seemed, it seemed like such a circuitous way to like, we have to explain away so much evidence Mm -hmm. in order to, get to the conclusion Mm -hmm. that God created the world in seven 24 hour periods. And that was what, 6,000 years ago or something, you know, um, it seemed like it, it, you know, if we have to jump through this many hoops, like to explain Mm -hmm. away what everybody else is saying, then there has to be something else going on here. Um, and, and thankfully I had enough, um, contact like um with science with a kind of a science community like I I did enough programs at the University of Pittsburgh where I you know where I lived when I was growing up and I I knew enough 
I don't know, secular biologists, sure. is that a thing? <laughs> um, it's ridiculous. But from, you know, from my perspective at that time, that was a thing. You know, there were Christian biologists and then there were secular biologists. Uh, oh, bless that word. Right? Right. It's, it's absurd. But I thankfully, yeah, right, right. There was this dividing line. Um and thank, it, thankfully, I had enough contact that I kind of like had this little foothold in the biology of the world, mm-hmm. you know, the um, in like actual data driven biology, as opposed to, okay, how can we fit the data into the narrative that we've already decided is true? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it just always. It, it always kind of smelled fishy to me, um, the creation story, you know. And then later in college, when I learned what a what a confirmation bias mm-hmm. is, it's like, oh, that's that's what that's what we were doing. Yeah. We decided ahead of time what we wanted the answer to be, and then we did all of these, and we did like this gymnastics mm-hmm. routine in order to get the data to fit what we wanted it to be. Um, it's absurd, you know. Uh, right, right. So the and and again, science was a bit of a in this sense, science was a a grounding factor for me in many, many senses. And that's really the heart of what the book is about. But in in this sense, just science as a way of knowing things about the world, that gave me something to hold on to when I started to question my faith. You know, at least we have this way of figuring things out. Um, even if the, the tools that I was given and the narratives that I was given as a child and as an adolescent, even if I don't know what's going on with those, at least I have sure. this way of knowing. Now I, I want to get to the book and we'll, we'll do that in a moment, but yeah, for me, I remember, I remember one or two kind of points of no return for me. Like it, it you know, my story, mm-hmm. which we don't have to get into right now, like, I never had a moment where I, like, felt like I was an atheist or was totally, like, walking away from my faith or anything like that. But but distinct, like, burned into my memory kind of these moments where it was kind of like, you know, if, if, if most of my journey was like a slow burn or kind of a slow turn of a dial, these moments were like a, a switch flipped on. It was a, like a moment of epiphany, perhaps. Where, where you know, yeah. I, I walked into that moment and I was like, I think one way or identify one way. And the next moment, almost like a Paul on the road to Damascus sort of thing. Uh, was there a moment right. like that for you or an idea, a class, a professor or a paper or, or something where it was kind of like maybe, maybe all the ingredients were mm-hmm. there. The, the foundation had already been laid prior to that. And it was kind of like all of a sudden it was like that last puzzle piece kind of fell into place and you kind of were like, wow, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a different person now. That's a great question. Two instances come to mind really. And they're spaced quite a, a distance apart time-wise. So this will give you a picture of kind of how, how long this process, it took a while for me. Uh, so the first was freshman year. I I took a course, a humanities course, and we learned basic critical thinking skills. 
And we read, I mean, we just read a few philosophy papers and a few, um, you know, a few pieces of literature and, and analyzed these papers, it just, you know, in accordance with basic principles of critical thinking, how do we spot a flawed argument? And that was the first time that I realized I, I, so I I was raised a biblical Mm -hmm. literalist. We believed that the modern English translation of the Bible is literally, literally true and that we can apply that language Mm -hmm. exactly um, and precisely to our modern American lives. So I was raised believing that. And any time that I asked a question about why, you know, why, why do we know that this is the case, which did happen growing up? I I did ask these questions, um, uh, you know, of my parents and my youth pastors. And the answer was always the self-confirmation that's contained within Mm -hmm. the Bible itself. So passages like um, in in Hebrews that all scriptures God breathed, or maybe that's 2 Timothy, that wherever they are, I've let my my Bible knowledge go a bit. Um, (laughs) But it's in there at some point that all, all scripture is God breathed, that it's all inspired by God. And so, so uh, just learning critical thinking as a skill for, for navigating the world, I started, that was like a, that was a big questioning moment. I was in this class with a lot of other, other students who had been raised with a spiritual, uh, most, you know, mostly Christian narrative where they were also given some type of, you know, whether it was biblical literalism or something else that was very concrete, very tangible, this is what, what the truth is. And we know it's the truth because it's the truth. Like, you know, this like self-contained loop of confirmation. And and I started to think like, "Ah, this isn't, this is not Mm -hmm. right. This can't be, you know, that we can't, we can't just trust it because it tells us to trust it. That's, (laughs) that's a huge red flag. How do we not see this red flag? I mean, that's such a good point. Like so many of us who were raised in that fundamental upbringing, we were not taught critical thinking or to even go there. I mean, that is, I didn't start even going there until in my thirties. So that's just, that's a great point. Like, it's amazing how, again, just like you said, how did we not see this ginormous red flag? Right, right. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust if I were reading like a, a journalistic article and the only reason that I had to trust what this journalist was saying was that they told me, I, well, I'm right. I, I'm right. That's why I'm right. I'm right. Um, you know, I wouldn't trust that. So why would I, why would I trust this collection of ancient texts that tells me the same thing? Um, so yeah, that, that was the, that kind of kicked the, you know, kicked this thing over the cliff a little bit. Uh, and then the second instance that comes to mind is actually in 2015, uh, when the marriage equality amendment was passed. So I was, my husband and I were, you know, all, all along at this time, we 
we both it, spiritual spirituality was really important to us. The Christian tradition was really important to us. And I don't think I could have told you why, or, you know, I, I don't think that I, I would have been able to tell you even really what I believed, but there was something really important um, to both of us about that tradition. And honestly, there, there still is today. But we were in a church that was incredibly conservative. And when the amendment was passed, um, we we kind of watched our friends in this church, the you know the people who are in this church with us, we watched them actually mourn um, the amendment being passed for marriage equality, and that was a just a moment where I realized I can't be part of this anymore. This. There's something in this tradition that keeps pulling me back, but this particular expression of it is, you know, this is going in a direction that I'm not going in. And if I stay, I am confirming and I'm adding my voice to, uh, to an exclusive narrative. Uh, So, so we, right away actually left um that church and went went in search of a more inclusive environment and uh, thankfully we did find it we did find a, a church that's much more inclusive um but that that was a another moment those i see those moments kind of as bookends in you know in that phase of my journey i'm curious um what do you feel like realizing who you are in those two moments um, that it you know really bookended? Where do you see that it might have cost you? I didn't realize this until very recently, but I don't remember a time in my I don't remember what my brain was like before I believed. Mm in in this yeah. narrative of who God is. So yeah. in so many ways, it was a source of security to me. This was the mm-hmm. first narrative that I believed mm-hmm. yeah. about who I was, where I came from, what my purpose was, uh, what I was yeah. here to do. Uh, the answers were all found in Jesus. I I believed. And not only was that reassuring, but it was also that it was the first narrative that I held on to. And um, when I started to question it, I, I, I could not have told you this at the time, but looking back now, I can see that I had to go through this relearning process, almost like a, another childhood, mm-hmm. another adolescence, um, just learning it, it, what I can trust in myself, what I can trust in my own instincts, learning how to feel my own feelings, because I, mm-hmm. I believe that a lot of my feelings were sin. I, I didn't know how to navigate anxiety. I only knew how to push away anxiety. For instance, I didn't know how to navigate my way through anger or resentment. I only knew 
mm-hmm. how to hate myself mm-hmm. for sinning in those ways, right? So it what it, it cost me that comfort and security of having an answer to these very deep existential questions. And I had that answer so early that I never even really had to ask the questions. Before before I was asking, what is my purpose? I, I was already handed the answer. So then when that answer went away, I had to navigate this question for the very first time, really. Um, so it, a lot of security. It is, yeah. Just out of curiosity, how old were you when you were relearning yourself uh yeah in college in college I the first time I prayed the sinner's Mm -hmm. prayer if you will was when I was three years old and I I don't remember um I don't remember me before that you know I don't remember uh my own consciousness before learning about Jesus and before learning that I am Mm -hmm. an evil sinner who needs the grace of Jesus. Uh, so, so it, it was a, it was a slow process. And honestly, it's one that I'm still navigating. And I, I think we all are, you know, we, we all are navigating this, um, this process of learning who we are and learning how to be ourselves in our changing world. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I just, oh, I just keep thinking of, three-year-old Elizabeth mm. knowing that she's a right. sinner like wow, that just like breaks my heart like in a million pieces yeah. um and, and I came from a very similar mm. background mm-hmm. for me it was mm-hmm. age seven but it, it just uh I was doing visualization meditation the other day and I went back to that age and I just wanted to hold myself and say it's okay you're loved just for being you because like we just didn't know any better those of us who were raised in that tradition right and even the I I remember the concept of so well, like self love wasn't really a phrase that we used back then. That's, you know, that's more of a modern. Um, I hear that more modernly, but even mm-hmm. like self esteem, for instance. I remember my youth mm-hmm. leader um, just kind of mocking the idea of self esteem, like, oh, that's it. You know, that would be sinful. That's prideful. That's arrogant um, to hold yourself in esteem. Um, but I, I mean, I find that without that foundation that, I mean, that has to come first. A, how else are we going to make it through the world? How else are we going to make it through our lives? If there isn't a basic level mm-hmm. of trust, uh, you know, a, a mm-hmm. self-trust, a basic level, um, of knowing knowing yourself knowing your instincts knowing um what to follow when which is so interesting because i feel like we have a bigger exit from the fundamentalist church in the last decade and a lot of it people are coming out and they don't know how to exist outside of a church that doesn't tell them what to do and think and and it, and there's no, they don't know how to, just what you're saying, they don't know how to trust themselves. And that is something I had to learn as well. 
but it just, I feel like there's this wake up call that we need for, um, the church as a whole, that we have to start teaching that, um, individuals have worth. And of course that comes, um, in part with God, but if we can't teach that we have a whole society of people who are just living in fear and are lost because they need help with critical thinking like I right. did. Right. It's, um, it, it, and it's so disorienting to mm-hmm. enter this process. You know, it's so disorienting to leave behind the voice that has been telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can seem like there's nothing when that voice goes away. But what I have found is that when, when that voice goes away, if I listen, I can hear my internal voice. I can hear, uh, and I, I can start to learn to discern, you know, I, I can discern what is good and what, you know, and what is wrong. I can discern what is, uh, what's my passion and, you know, what I will pursue, what's meaningful to me. Um, So speaking of your passion and um, getting your PhD in molecular biology. So how did that, you went from chemistry. So where where was the pivot to molecular biology and talk a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So I, my, I actually went to grad school in a chemistry department, but I, I did a dissertation that was in molecular biology and cell biology as well. So, um, and the, my reason for doing that, I was always interested in medical research, Mm -hmm. um, some type of medical application of science and it, a number of advisors along the way for me um, ad- advised me to keep my science, uh, it, my like the disciplines of science to keep those options open as much as possible. Mm. Um, and I was always told chemistry will would give me a more versatile foundation than any other other field of science. Um, and it seems to that seems to be. The case because in graduate school I was able to work on a dissertation in a biological molecular biological field. So uh, if, and through this time, if if we take those bookends, freshman year of college to 2015, kind of those bookends of everything in between was a time of very serious theological questioning wandering and uncertainty, um, Mm. where I was not ready to let go of my faith. And I, I certainly wasn't ready to let go of my belief in God. Um, but I had some very serious questions about the nuts and bolts of my faith. Mm -hmm. And I was given such a precise, version um of faith that i wasn't really sure like well if it's not if it's not precise then Mm -hmm. do i really have anything um Mm. and that phase uh grad school was contained within that phase so okay 
in and this comes through in the book um, very clearly that kind of my experience in biology yeah. was that was the the ground that I could stand on. That was the or not not my experience, but nature itself. What I observed in nature itself gave me something um, that I could hang on to in the midst of all of this just wandering, questioning, not sure what mm -hmm. I'm doing here, not sure if there's any rhyme or reason to my life. Um, yeah. And what, what grounded me really, the and, um, patterns that I saw in cell biology or patterns that I saw in molecular biology, um, specifically mm. of community. I, yeah, yeah, I, I started to see natural systems that are completely outside of the realm of human influence, right? These systems that were here, it kind of, they're more foundational than we are, right? So in a sense, right. like these, these systems, the systems that make up our, even our own bodies, our cellular systems, they're they're more basic and more foundational than we are. So I felt this this draw to this like mm -hmm. you know this is the stuff we're made out of. Yeah. So if there are any patterns I can see in this stuff, then maybe that can tell me something about what it means to be sure. me, about what it means to be a person. Mm. Right. So that yeah, that all was kind of happening during graduate school. Okay. So you, you've started to get into it, but let's jump to the book. So, so the book is called Through the Kaleidoscope, yeah. How Exploring Cell Biology Transforms My Relationship with God. Uh, it's out. So for everyone listening, the book is um, available for pre-order. It is out July 14th of this year, 2019. Is that still true? That's true. And so we will have information on the book, uh, links for purchase and pre-order, like with the with the notes for this uh, podcast when it's released. So Elizabeth, you already started to say it a little bit, but you know the subtitle of the book: How Exploring Cell Biology Transforms My Relationship with God. So you've already you've mentioned the patterns. You've kind of mentioned this this idea that you were seeing these systems or these patterns, or or I really like the word you use these communities almost. Yeah. Uh, Existing at this this foundational, you know, even more foundational than what we experience, you know, on the human level on a day to day basis. So, using that as a jumping off point, like like dive in, you know, you know, succinctly, you don't have or not, you know, we got time. <laughs> um, in whatever way comes most naturally to you, <laughs> right? Answer the question: How did exploring cell biology transform? Or continue to trans, or how does does it continue to transform your relationship with God? I find so much inspiration in nature, and I think so many of us do. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is the reason that we love to look at mm -hmm. sunsets. This is the reason that we love to stand by the ocean. This is, you know, this is why a hike through the woods just kind of can fill us with so much wonder and so much awe and that yeah. feeling that sense of wonder 
is what I felt when I was a little girl and I, I was fascinated by astronomy when I would look at the stars. Uh, I remember so clearly when my mom told me that the stars are just faraway suns. They're just suns mm-hmm. that are really far away. And that just amazed me. And it still amazes me when I allow myself to really think about it. Um, that sense of wonder that I felt as a little kid that I still feel when I see a beautiful sunset, that's what I feel when I allow myself to, to fully engage in what I'm reading in my biology textbooks. So, you know, as, as a biology student, it, was very easy to get bogged down in facts, right? And kind of this like rote memorization, learn this stuff, uh, perform this experiment. But when I would allow myself to take just a slight step back and think about every cell in my body is doing this, Every cell in my body is not only doing this, but doing this in a perfectly synchronized, coordinated way in in community with the other cells mm-hmm. around them. That started to transform the way that I see God. And I, I, I've always believed that mm. God was the force that, that created us, that created me. Uh, that was always my starting point. Yeah. So when I yeah. engage with biology, when I think about cells, I am engaging with the the most foundational, basic, untampered with creations mm-hmm. that God created. Uh, so it, when I think about human behavior, right? Humans are influenced by so many factors. We're influenced by our own experience. We're influenced by our own psychology. We're influenced by, you know, political and environmental and social factors and and social pressures and expectations. So our choices are so complicated. Uh, our choices about how we engage in community, our choices about the relationships that we build and, and the ways that we interact with others around us. Those choices are so complex. But when, when you zoom in mm-hmm. and you think about a community of cells, those cells aren't influenced by the social pressures that we're influenced by. They're not influenced by, you know, they don't have brains, <laughs> right? They're not influenced by psychology. They're not making conscious choices of any sort. There are still patterns of behavior. There are still way, you know, ways of, kind of these codes of conduct. Sure. There are still ways that cells behave. And for me, I've... I've come to think of those patterns as a sign of what God is, uh, of what God has made. Uh, And 
just yesterday I was listening to the liturgist podcast and Hillary McBride said so succinctly just the heart of what this book is. And she said that, that humans are wired for two things. We're wired for survival and connection. That is exactly what our biology is telling us. Our cells are wired for survival hmm. and capable of just mind-boggling adaptation in order to mm-hmm. survive. And also for community. Uh, the ways that, that a wound heals, mm. when a wound develops, the, the entire community comes into action in order to heal that wound. Not because, not because that cell is damaged, but because the neighbor is damaged. It's like there's this awareness that if one part of us is hurt, all of us are hurt. If, if one member is hurt, we all are. And that's not... It, you know, that's not an ethic that our cells yeah. learn. That's not imposed by anything outside yeah. of that cell. There's just this, like this oh. intuition or, you know, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than to say there's, there's just a knowledge. There's an intuition that this is what we do in order, um, in order to survive. We come together. Um, so that, that's the way that cell biology is transformed the way I see God. I, I see, and I, I even, I have to laugh to myself at how ironic it is that I, I feel like I've come full circle Mm -hmm. in my faith (laughs) because when, when I started out, when I was in high school and I knew that I wanted to study biology, chemistry, medicine in some capacity. I, I remember telling uh, people in my church that I, I saw the, the fingerprints mm-hmm. of God in nature, right? Um, and, and part of me, part of me thinks that I knew more than I really sure. consciously knew back then that it, because now I do, I see the fingerprints of God, but it's, it's not the God that I imagined. It's not, um, the, you know, it, it's not the, the, the God who sits on a throne and judges. It's the God that is in, mm-hmm. it's the, it's this, you know, integrated, incarnated, God, really, it's given me a whole new picture of incarnation. Which is so amazing. Just to listen to you talk, I mean, there's such an awe factor. And yet, yeah, growing up, I feel like that awe factor is feared. But I'm like, you can, can, we have the privilege of connecting with God with this infinite knowledge to be able to look under um, high. Um, intensity microscope and see the cellular communities. I mean, yeah, that just that idea blows my mind yes. in all the best ways, you know. And it's so re- it's so affirming. It's affirming as a person who has had to let go of what I thought was my safety net and everything I've been told all my life, and now I'm trying to rediscover 
who I am and what I believe. And there is actually something inside my body that is the prime example of who God is, which is that cellular community. That's just, that's amazing. That's really cool, Beth. You know, that, that sign has been there all Mm -hmm. along. Um, That's the, just the, the awe-inspiring part of it for me. That's the most awe-inspiring part. uh, That the, kind of the the pattern, the answer, the God really has been there all along. Yeah. If if that last sequence of you kind of just describing that whole idea, if that doesn't make someone listening want to buy the book, then, well, then their cells are broken. (laughs) Your cells aren't working right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. Right? Uh, like, I mean, just, I just, I'm sitting here thinking about so many friends and people I know who just kind of feel lost mm, in this great yes. and the, this topic and what you're exploring and what you're, you're providing a tool. Mm, you really mm. are Elizabeth, just to give people words to who God is on I mean, on a cellular level. Right. So. <laughs> right. Right. A tangible, just, concrete mm-hmm. uh, level. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that feeling of lostness uh, is one that I was, I was in that um, very deeply. And when I started to, it was really when I started to write the precursor of this book, which was a series of handwritten notebooks. Um, I started to write this down just because I, I felt so lost and writing was something that gave me a tether. You know, it gave me um, a way to express myself in something, you know, it gave, it gave my, it gave this lost feeling words and somehow that helped me to feel less lost. So when, when I started to write these stories and kind of biological explorations, that's when I, when I started to feel like I could find my ground again. Sure. So you've sort of named it already, but if you were to boil it down to a sentence or a mantra or something like that, cause you've, you know, you've talked about the way that your story you know, brushes up against this kind of this loss of foundation, loss of certainty, even to the point where you almost had to kind of redo a certain almost like developmental process in the same way that like, you know, a child goes through, you know, infancy, childhood, adolescence, so on and so forth. Uh, Almost on an existential level, you had to do that all over again once this kind of prepackaged, you know, framework or certainty was, um, was dismantled. So yeah. I think I think a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this are going to resonate with that and and some of them might very much still find themselves in kind of this gray area um for lack of a better word and and so so what does that look like I mean I I mean I think you've given us um a lot of powerful tools and I think the book will be for many people a tool to navigate that gray but but you've touched on meaning uh, what does what does meaning look like? Meaning making, if if meaning isn't sort of dictated or 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 sort of kind of handed down 
for us or to us and kind of the way that maybe all three of us have kind of named in this conversation, you know, it was when we were younger. I'm not asking you to kind of, kind of, you know, speak for all people, all times, all places, but for you, what does meaning making Mm -hmm. look like for you now? Yeah, for me, uh, meaning, finding meaning, it really looks like finding a way for myself to fit into something bigger than me. Um, Finding where I connect to something that's greater than me. So that can be relationships. It often is. It often is um, a relationship with another person. And I, I can tell you, there have been so many instances where I have felt a sacredness in a connection that I have with another person, a shared experience, just a shared moment, or or a, a conversation, sharing our internal thoughts with each other. I find that to be a part of the meaning that keeps me grounded, even, it, even in the absence of this uh, theological certainty that I had. Uh, as I was growing up. Um, and it, in addition to relationships, that connection to something bigger, it can even be a, a narrative that's greater than me. Mm. And this is really where my work uh, is very meaningful to me. So I, yeah. I worked in a biology lab for, uh, for a number of years, and I'm a medical writer now. And being a part of an industry that is dedicated to understanding and treating and curing diseases. Mm. That work gives me a sense of meaning. Just the, um, the idea that I am in some minuscule, minuscule way, that I am helping to move Uh, medical progress forward that gives me meaning and I and I would imagine for it for each of us that answer is going to be different um maybe that answer is it is you know creating music or creating art maybe that answer is uh you know it is being an effective and an efficient worker in, in whatever industry you find yourself in, maybe that that meaning is is parenting, or um, as a as a child caring for a parent, or as a you know as a sibling caring for a sibling. It, they, these these senses of meaning come from all sorts of places for each of us, and I think it, it, we we find it uh, we find it on an individual level, and for me, I know, I know it when I find it. Mm-hmm. And this comes back to the heart of this mm-hmm. podcast, permission to be myself. I know what is meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as I have learned to let go yeah. of the doctrine of the theological certainty of the answers that were handed to me, I have also learned to allow this internal sense of meaning to come alive. Mm-hmm. I so firmly believe that we each have it. We each, there is, yeah. that there is a way that each of us finds that we fit into a narrative, a story that's bigger yeah. than just us. 
that we are part of something. No, it's powerful. And, and mm-hmm. earlier when you were kind of kind of starting off and kind of talking about, you know, this idea of something bigger, something that kind of places us outside of ourselves. It, I mean, it, the parallels, and obviously you know they're there, but the parallels between the way that you were describing cells earlier and the way that cells, you, you know, they don't have to be taught to be kind of be aware of the distress of their neighbors. Yeah. I had this moment years ago where I was driving down the road and, you know, I hear a siren behind me. And so, you know, I, I, I see it in my rear view mirror, the, the ambulance, and I, and I start to pull over. And of course, everyone else is pulling over. And all of a sudden, I found myself feeling really, really emotional. And I couldn't really put my finger as to why. I was like, why did that? I didn't, I didn't know who the ambulance was for. I, I didn't have any reason to believe it was for anyone that I knew or was close to. But as I reflected on it, there was something, there was something about the unity of that moment where, you know, None of us on the road, we're not communicating with each other. We don't know each other. We're not connected in any direct way. We might even not get along under normal circumstances, you know, you know me and the person in front of me or, or whoever, but, but kind of in that moment, there's this, there's, there's this thing going on. We're all, there's something that, that we're part of that's bigger than us. And we all kind of, yeah. you know, kind of set aside our own unique individual trajectories to kind of, you know, kind of rally around, you know, kind of this, this crisis, this moment. And right. Um, I've preached on that before, you, you know, in a, in a sermon. And so, so when you named that, talking kind of about at the cellular level, at the most foundational level of our being, the parallel between, you know, kind of the story I just told and, and what your work, um, I almost got chills. It's like, oh, wow, that's, it's, it's, it's literally hardwired into our being, you know, this notion of, you know, kind of unity, even amidst what can seem like disunity or chaos or you know kind of whatever you want to put it yes right right it um it seems chaotic but there is within us there's a there's this knowledge of connection knowledge of integration so that's so interesting to me because then it seems like we've actually been taught to fight against ourselves and that creates um, to some degree great chaos because if we view our bodies as every piece of our being our spirit brains our guts down to our toes it's all connected and is one and they work in a succinct way if we're not taught to trust it it's there's literally i would in some level a reverberation within our body that we are going against how we were created yeah. and so it makes sense that then the fear on an even different level makes sense to me. It's on a cellular level where we've created fear. Yeah. And the antidote to that fear has been in us all along. And by, by rejecting our internal knowledge, we are drowning out the voice that is telling us where to go the voice that that's calling us toward where we're supposed to go yeah Yeah. to calling us towards those sacred connections that we're missing out on this external community of the human race but then we can't hear that calling because we're so we've blocked it we've blocked that we've blocked those um, pulses within us hmm yeah, we've shut off the the voice that's here to to save us. Honestly, that's here to 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 call us toward 
um, our our purpose yeah. and our meaning. So with that said, because I, I love how you put that. So with that said, would you call that voice God? Mm-hmm. And maybe yes, maybe not, but would you? And piggybacking off that, you talked about the voice that's here to save us. How would you now understand the notion of salvation? Oh, that's a great question. Kind of with all this, you know, all this evolution yeah. on a spiritual level that you've kind of you've kind of described here with us. Yeah, I I hold these concepts so loosely now, um, and I absolutely I would consider that voice that's calling that internal voice. I would consider that to be God, um, and, and I would say we can be God for each other. And we can hear God in ourselves. And and there is a, a divine voice that's in all of us. So, I, yeah, absolutely. And the, so the concept of salvation is one that still is meaningful to me in many ways, even though I really haven't or, or I, I do really hold this concept so loosely now. Sure. But, but what I've been thinking about in terms of salvation is that there is there are patterns of redemption mm-hmm. that come up in nature mm-hmm. we i mean we all know it's it we you know we can talk about the 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 drive towards survival and the drive toward connection but of course we also know that death and decay and degeneration are very real in the natural world as well yeah. right and and we have to we have to find a way to hold that at the same time as you know as as holding this beautiful image of connection in nature we have to find find a way to reconcile this somehow and a, a beautiful example for me of redemption in nature is the example of dna repair so dna strands can be broken and they can be mutated um, and they can they can even develop complete lesions complete breaks like the, the whole strand can be cleaved and as you can imagine this is destructive it's damaging the whole cell can die um, or even worse a, a that cell can become cancerous mm-hmm. and it can kind of be go rogue and cause even greater damage so the flip side of connection, there's a beautiful side. There's this beautiful side of collective growth and, um, and you know, collective forward movement. There's also the other side of connection, which is when one piece kind of goes wrong mm-hmm. or goes bad, the whole thing does, right? Mm-hmm. There's no denying that this is reality. There's no denying that this is also part of the biological pattern that we see. Mm. What I find so inspiring is that in the face of that destruction, there are also tools and mechanisms in ourselves that specifically and honestly masterfully counteract that damage and address that damage. Sometimes they fix the DNA breaks, and sometimes they simply treat those DNA breaks with extra sensitivity so that the cell can go on living, even though 
there's a breakage. Hmm. Interesting. So there are all of these mechanisms, not really uh, driving the system toward perfection, but driving the system toward function and wholeness. And again, connection in a healthy life-promoting sense. And when I started to learn about DNA repair, it just seemed to be such a beautiful picture of redemption. The type of redemption that isn't, you know, it's, it's not an atonement because you're so evil, but it's an atonement because there is brokenness. Mm. There is destruction. There is degeneration and decay you know the these processes are also present Mm -hmm. and redemption is the the grace that it you know if we continue with this biological metaphor it's the grace that comes from within the cell itself and brings about a new and makes a new way makes a new path toward health and toward growth toward connection um, with the community um, so I see that as a symbol, yeah. a metaphor for, for what I believe redemption to be. I, I believe redemption to be the, the grace that we offer ourselves mm-hmm. and that we offer others in order to not always fix our flaws, but to accommodate our flaws, to work around and to work with mm-hmm. the things that are holding us back. Because the, the purpose isn't to uh to become perfect the purpose is to keep going as a whole the purpose is to keep growing um and and to continue forward and we can do that Mm -hmm. even if we're imperfect Mm -hmm. we're already doing that even though we're imperfect um but redemption is the the grace that comes in And the way uh, to keep going forward. Oh, I love that. And as you were sharing it, it made me think of this quote um, from this theologian whose name I always butcher, uh, but French theologian uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, who said, uh, We are one after all, you and I. Together we suffer, together exist, and forever we'll recreate each other. Mm, and, you know, kind of as, as you're describing, you know, DNA regeneration, that's that's kind of where my mind went is this idea that, you know, you know, the suffering and the existing, it's this, you know, it's, it, it's not so much good or evil. It just kind of is. And it's in with, within that reality, that space that is, you know, salvation kind of becomes this or redemption becomes this, this mutuality, this coexistence that that, that we kind of bring yeah. to one another. Absolutely. And I, I find it really beautiful in a sense that when we look at DNA repair, the factors that are capable of breaking DNA strands, sometimes they come from outside of the cell. Sometimes they are like foreign invaders, basically, right? But most of the time, they're byproducts of the reactions that are going on in Mm. the cell, Mm. the reactions that keep the cell healthy and alive and moving forward and doing its job, they're just natural. They're just parts of it. They're, they're, they're just the same. These, you know, these factors that are capable of destruction, they're, there just the same as all of the rest. And they're, and in a sense, they're, they're necessary. They're important for the whole thing. You know, 
if the healthy parts are going to be there, these risk factors yeah, yeah. also have to be there. And that, that to me is a sign of how just it, how it's kind of nonsense to ask why there's pain and suffering and death, uh, you know, in the world. It's just there, the same, you know, it's part of it. And you, you can't separate it. That's the, that's the image that I see in biology. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the, the life and the function and the health without also the risk and the, the dangerous factors. So then immediately the question that comes to my mind is then what do we do with the label of evil in the world? Mm. You know what? Mm -hmm. Because what you said makes sense, but for those of us who have grown up in a religious or fundamentally religious environment, um, how do we make sense of that? I'm just curious Mm -hmm. what your thoughts are. Yeah, well, I I mean, absolutely. There, you know, I, I would love to say there can be a world without evil, but there is evil in the world. Um, And I would certainly not say that evil or pain or suffering are necessary. I mean, especially not to a person who is currently going through pain or suffering. But I I do think uh, the way that I've come to see things our role is to be a part of the redemptive force as much as possible, you know, to be a part of the, the force that protects and heals as much as possible. Yeah. And I, as far as the, the overall scheme, like the overall, why is there evil in the world? Oh gosh, I would really love to know, you know, I would really love to know why there is pain. But there is, and the choice that's ours, the power that's ours, is to be a part of the healing force, Mm -hmm. to be a a part of the the redemptive force, Um, as opposed to the the looking the other way force, Mm -hmm. which is our, you know, that, that so often is our other option, to look the other way and to not be a part of the healing. But if yeah. we if we take a clue from our biology, yeah. we'll understand that our collective healing is our healing. There is mm-hmm. no separation mm-hmm. of the two. Yeah, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. I love that. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. And oh my goodness, my mind has just been amazed by tools that I didn't even know existed and how comforting it is to hear the explanations of things on a cellular level that is just personally i needed that and thank you for that um and thank you for pouring your life's work and being willing to dig deep and do the hard work and then turn around and write it in your new um upcoming book that's coming out on um july 14th can you tell everybody where they can find more information about you, how to pre-order your book, all that good stuff. 
Absolutely. So my, my website is elizabethjeffreeswrites.com. And if you head there, you can click to subscribe to my email list. And when you do so, you will receive 50% off your pre-order once that becomes available. You'll also receive the first chapter free of the book. So even if you're not sure um, about the book, you can get the first chapter free. And I promise you, you'll be hooked by the end of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's my website, elizabethjeffreeswrites.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at epjeff can find me on Instagram. I'm at EP Jeffries. Um, that's, uh, that's where I am. I'd love to connect with you. Can you speak a little bit? I know that you're going to do a podcast yourself. Yes. Up to the release of your book. What's, when is that going to air? And um, give us a little more. Yes, details. right. So that um, this also you'll be able to subscribe through iTunes. You'll be able to uh, find the link through my website, and I'll I'll be posting on social media about this as well. This is the prequel show to my uh, my book release, and mm -hmm. what you'll hear on this podcast are conversations that have been inspired by the book. Uh, so mm -hmm. as I've written and edited and received so much generous feedback from my friends about this book. Uh, as that has all gone on, I have discovered that I'm not alone in yeah. experiencing this, you know, this theological lostness and uh, theological uncertainty, yeah. my faith kind of falling apart and then rebuilding uh, something in its place. I found that I'm not alone. And as I was thinking about how to you know, celebrate the launch of the book, I thought there, there's really nothing that I'd rather do than sit down with these friends and talk to them about their experiences, about their journeys. Uh, so these are conversations about faith transformations. And you'll be able to find that it's, it's also called Through the Kaleidoscope and the Prequel Show. Awesome. So everybody be on the lookout for that and make sure to follow Elizabeth on her social media platforms. We will have all of those links in the show notes. Um, so they will be easy for you to find. Elizabeth, thank you again so much um, just thank for spending you. time and um, being willing just to um, sit with us and break everything down in a way that is so much needed and I feel like um, it continues that biological community that you were talking about earlier. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with David and I. Oh, thank you so much. These, these stories have just meant so much to me personally and I'm hopeful that they'll mean the same to others. So thank you so much. For joining us on Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and thank you to my good friend and co-host, David Roberts. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. We are available on all the major podcasting platforms. And while you're there, if you would leave us a rating and or review, we are always looking for more and more ways to hear from our listeners. You can find the links for today's guests and the show notes located at BeccaEpley.com. 
we do hope that you will join us for our next episode.